Winter Day, everyone. We are here today to meet the Italian Mafia. Wait, no, the actual Italian Options Mafia. So, that was, uh, Risk that was Finance. Nice. <laughs> we, got, uh, we got Dan and Tabesto who are here to uh, talk volatility pricing with us. So welcome, guys. Hello, hello. Hi, guys. Thanks for the introduction. Hi, everyone. Yeah. Um, so let's talk options. What um, what are you guys working on? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'm gonna start them best if that's okay. Um, so yeah, I'm Dan. I'm um, Italian, as you said, and uh, I'm working on an options protocol that is called Risk Finance. So Risk Finance, effectively, it's um, kind of an automated market maker for options. So the way it's working is on one side we have liquidity providers that deposit right now stable coin into the protocol and basically they deposit into this pool of vault that we call it dynamic edging vault or DHV. So deposit stable coin into DHV. And on the other side, we actually have traders. And those traders can trade options. Uh, now it, we're talking about eat options. And basically the counterparty is the DHV. And so they can trade options on multiple strikes, multiple experts, and you know, whatever they want, they can buy, they can sell, and the counterparty is actually this DHV. And um, it's called dynamic edging vault because when you know traders actually trade, what the vault is doing is also reducing its exposure in terms of like you know market movement to so try to be market neutral, and so it's also edging its position with a complex system uh, by using options, using other you know instrument could be like GMX or Uniswap, whatever. We can go in details later, but. The main concept is is basically edging for liquidity providers. So we can say the liquidity provider is like a bank, you know, the deposit, it should be hedged position. On the other side, we have all the traders, other protocols, people want to do arbitrage and so on, trading, and the counterparty is the DHV. So a lot of there's a lot of options protocols out there, right? <clears throat> they all have their own like little special ways of of uh, providing um, similar PL charts to how a traditional option would be priced, right? Some use a UniV3 style liquidity pool to, uh, to mimic that. Other people are having actual pricing that happens in an order book. Um, like what are the trade-offs between using a, I don't know, an AMM versus a club order book versus actual having individual, uh, options that you're selling um and like what are the trade-offs that you find when coming to DeFi? yeah that's um it's a good question i'm gonna try to answer and then i think i can also like go to the and i guess i guess like the last question after you answer all that my next question is going to be is like what is it and what is the most efficient right because i guess that's the answer there that is most relevant right like yeah yeah so I think it all comes to actually understanding a bit about, you know, the options market per se, right? So if we try to understand the crypto options market in general, like one of the main players is Deribit, right? This CFI, so centralized finance Deribit. And it's basically based out of an order book. And so what a lot of, you know, people in DeFi try to do, and um, also coming from my experience before Risk, I was uh, working with Open, that it was probably like the first options protocol back then. And they had an order book, right? Like similar to what Deribit had. The problem with the order book when it comes to DeFi is that you it's required like obviously a lot of 
liquidity in a sense that you need a lot of counterparties for those trades, right? Because when you want to do a trade with options, one thing that you have to keep in mind is like if you have multiple experts, multiple strikes, put and calls, you have a super fragmented situation where you have like a thousands, you know, sometimes you can really have like a hundred different type of product effectively. So when you create an order book for something like that, you actually need a lot and like literally a lot of market makers or, you know, users posting like all those limit orders out there and providing liquidity for all the different pairs uh, into, into that. And so at the end of the game by, you know, like how we see DeFi where actually liquidity is one probably the main issue. When you try to build an order book, it's absolutely challenging in that because it's hard to find all those, you know, market maker activity and uh, all those um, actors providing liquidity for something like that. So AMM is something, you know, trying to fix one of those problems at the end, because you can do different type of AMM, as you said, you can use, for example, liquidity from Uniswap and that's the best can go deeper into that. But our, it's like, you basically we have our own AMM with our own pricing mechanism and rates. But the thing is by doing this, you've actually introduced a new actor into the system that is actually the passive actor, like someone that doesn't care about options. He doesn't know which option provider. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to do that. And he's basically just providing this passive liquidity into the system. And then traders can use this passive liquidity to actually do the trades. So AMM enabled this, you know, having basically this liquidity that otherwise, if you do something on order book, would be absolutely challenging. And uh, so that's yeah, the typically, typically, yeah. anytime that you shift away from one actor, in this case, you're talking about shifting away from club order book into using like an AMM, there's always a trade-off, right? You're, you're having to sacrifice uh, like efficient pricing yep. for something else, right? For less efficient pricing, or you're having to uh, penalize liquidity providers in a way to ensure uh, adequate product usage for your retail users, right? So I think that it's, it's it's a balancing act, right? And that wherever you go, right, there's there's always benefits to be in one product versus another. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to bring up specifically about like the trade-offs that are ha had to be made for DeFi, right? Because uh, you know trading trading options on a centralized platform is really efficient because you have market makers that are able to uh, work within their own terms and provide liquidity rapidly, or not even provide liquidity, but like change their quotes rapidly based on uh, changes in volatility or changes in outlook of, of future, uh, you know, any of the gammas, right? So they can, they can adjust those in a, in a split second uh, to fix their pricing. But I don't think you can do that as efficiently in DeFi land. So, like what are some of the trade-offs that you have to make to be an efficient options protocol in DeFi? Yeah, so on the pricing, it's it, it, the, the, the trade-off is there. It's on the pricing. Um, the big difference is actually not, at least to me, it's not how efficient you do that. It's like who's making the pricing, right? So with an order book, the price is made by the actors that participate into the, into the system, right? So you are a market maker, you make your own price. With an AMM, you accept the price that is actually made by the smart contract, right? So that's a big difference into this system. So what happens is on, on an order book, you decide which price you are able to trade that option. And 
you know, if it gets filled, you make the trade. With an AMM, it's like that's the price that the AMM is able to give you. Take it or leave it, right? It's it's a completely different like approach on when you do this kind of system. And this is like obviously cool sounds like worse, but in some cases it actually has some benefits. Um, so for example, um, the arbitrage is actually like a pretty interesting one because there will be a lot of arbitrage. Like we've done a trading competition on risk and it was like full of arbitrage. And so like sophisticated users actually have fun playing with it. But on the efficient of the pricing, we, at least with what we've done with risk, like we, you know, we have a quantum and the build, uh, this pricing mechanism. And the way we made it is actually, uh, we create a volatility skew. So the volatility skew is actually adjusting, um, fairly quickly using like some sort of Oracle that we built, um, uh, to the volatility. So, in, and obviously we are not on mainnet, we are on Arbitrum that makes like, you know, computational power and everything like easier. Because that's one thing that you mentioned, it's like being efficient. Yeah, when you are like on mainnet, like in mainnet, that's building an options protocol is practically impossible right now because of that. But being on layer two is actually getting better. But yeah, I mean, the, definitely the trade-off there is like if you're an institutional actor and usually you are like a price maker, um, with a model like the AMM, you change yourself by being like a price taker. So that's the price that the AMM is able to give you, take it or leave it, right? So that's yeah. the big trade-off. So um, are these... Are these inefficiencies in pricing um you know we've not seen any major options protocols take off on any DeFi pro like network or like any any network or app yet right uh, nothing has hit significant size where we're talking about billions of dollars of either t i don't want to use tvls maybe not the best thing but uh or maybe it is for like open interest but yeah. we really haven't hit that kind of escape velocity for options protocols yet specifically there's perp trading obviously with gmx with dydx um and with a few other protocols but no one's made been able to make that jump of packaging up a product in a way to be able to draw in both institutional and retail because you know institutional drive itself because they're the ones providing liquidity and and taking away stale pricing, but you really have to have retail users there to like drive a lot of the volumes. Like without them, you just it's not going to work. So like, what like what's that like? What do you think that gap has been? Like why 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 really haven't we had that kind of Cambrian explosion of options protocols on chain yet? Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe I can I can try to give uh, to give an answer here. Um, so I mean. You cannot really imagine to have options working without having a properly functioning uh, spot market first, and yeah. then derivatives market, yeah. like futures market. I would say. Um, so well, so it was is kind that, of natural. Is, is it? Is uh, it? Is it? Does it have to be a futures market, or can it be a perp market, or is? is well, it, it could be. It could per, be a perp market. market. Uh, I, I think it's fine. Um, so, but the thing is, you need first to have the spot. The spot mm -hmm. needs to be working. Uh, you need to have enough liquidity, enough trading volumes. Once you have reliable pricing on chain due to decentralized exchanges actually working and getting large enough, you can have also futures. And futures are relatively easy to build once you have uh, a spot market. Mm -hmm. um, options, options, I mean, if you think about it, options are really simple. Like on a theoretical point of view, it's just the right to buy or sell an asset at a price at a future date. So it's 
I mean, it's, it's very easy. Uh, but the thing is to make it work in DeFi, it's actually extremely hard. And the pricing, you already talked about it, uh, but the pricing is probably the biggest challenge there. Um, but it's not the only challenge. I mean, the, the liquidity is also a very big, very big challenge. So the fragmentation of liquidity uh, in different strikes, different expiries, uh, all of that is really complicated to handle. And also the margining, I would say the only thing that we haven't talked about it, and it's still, I think, one of the biggest problems in making them work is, mm-hmm. mar- is margining. So just, to, uh, just like, to touch on that for a second. So yeah. if you're, if you're a, I don't want to say, even as, a, even as like a large retail user, once your portfolio goes to a sufficient size when you're trading options, you can go to your broker and you can say, hey, can you, can you enable uh, essentially like cross margin for me like can you can you let me get uh more margin against my positions and also take like cross leverage against my positions as well too like as my broker you can see all my trades and you can see that i'm not like a an idiot when it comes to options trading so i would ask that you give me the ability to take on more risk than the average person and you allow me to use my portfolio in a way which would maximize my returns. And typically, if you have enough money and your broker sees that you have a good history, they'll enable that for you. But um, we really don't have that ability on on chain. Yes, and uh, that's exactly how it works. And of course, if you don't have that, you need to be a lot more capital intensive. You need to have more collateral against your position. And if you buy an option, it's not necessarily a problem because like buying an option, you can probably pay everything up front the maximum you can lose is the premium you put in. So it's it's kind of easy to handle. But when you sell options, it gets crazy because when you sell an option, you have infinite downside. You can literally lose an infinite amount of money. You can lose everything you, you gave as margin, you, but you can potentially lose more, of course. Um, so so yeah, I mean, you, you need to have some proper liquidation system in place to handle these situations where an option seller is not able to uh, to basically cover his position on a large market move. So I think that's uh, these are basically some of the main issues. Then, of course, there is also a UI, UX issue uh, in, uh, in making options. I mean, options are very complicated from a UI perspective. You've got all these different strikes, ex- expiries and so on. So for the average retail trader, it can get a bit overwhelming. But uh, but yeah, I, I would say these are probably the main issues. So how do you? Uh, but how do you? How do you deal with? I mean, I I understand some of the things that that are done to deal with this infinite risk problem, because if you're selling if you're selling calls, specifically, right? You know, if you're selling puts, obviously you have a hundred percent downside, uh, and then if you're on leverage, it can grow a lot. But if you're selling calls, I mean, you have infinite risk, really. And in crypto, where we have such high volatility as well, too. I mean, that's a lot of risk that you can sell. Uh, and so I've seen, you know, typically some of the ways that this has been capped is with, again, coming back to using like Uniswap V3 positions, style positions, or like other types of ways to um, model different options pricing uh, through existing like DeFi systems. Like, it, do you think that we've kind of figured it out like and hit the limitations of these models or are are we going to have to build something new yeah i mean maybe i can i can try to um to tell you how how we are approaching this problem so 
first of all, I'm building Smiley Finance. So it's a separate protocol compared to Risk, but we also build uh, options. Oh, no. I think we lost. I think we lost. He's like two seconds in. I was all ready for it as well, too. It's like, uh, I know. Okay. In the meantime, I can. I can tell you like a bit more about that. Um, not about Smiley, I will let the best do it, but I can tell you a bit more on the capital, right? So the easy way to solve that problem is basically you use fully collateralized option, right? So you basically do cover a call. So when you sell, you tell the people to post one eat, for example, if you have an options on eat. So if the price of it is going to the moon, the collateral will be enough, right? Because it's appreciating in value. That's obviously the easy way, but that's the most capital inefficient because imagine you're selling an option that might be worth it, I don't know, $10 and the collateral requires like one ETH. That could be worth right now like $2,000 or close to that, right? 1,900. So that's the inefficient way. But if you want to do an efficient way, it's obviously requiring liquidation, right? So you can build a liquidation system. That's what we are doing. And when I say we, not just stress risk, like most of the options protocol now, we have like this sort of like liquidation mechanism. The problem with the liquidation mechanism as of today, though, it's all about how can you make the mechanism getting the price somewhere? Because let's say that you trade in an option that is worth $10, right? Because you can have an option worth $10. It could happen. And the problem we have now on chain is like we don't really know what is the value of that option? Because you need a market that, you know, it's pretty efficient, you know, the, the, the price of that option. And so what we're going to do, it's like right now, it's pretty much detached from that. So the way you do it is like you are, you are, you know, selling that option. We don't know what is the real value. And so we have to estimate pretty much what is the collateral required for that. But as more like, you know, as the industry is growing, when I say industry, like in them of options and you have, you know, multiple protocols, it's going to be easier to actually know what is the value of that option. And so you can be way more efficient even in the collateral required, because if you're selling an option that is worth $10, instead of having like $500 collateral, you can actually have, I don't know, like, let's say 2x, $20, whatever. Um, so... Wait, so can we can we just unpack that a little bit? Like, yeah. because this is what's like kind of blowing my mind a little bit. So like, let's say uh, I'm selling you an option and it's for, let's say, ETH at 2100. So way out of the money right now. And um, you buy it for me for $10. And like, let's say I post $20 of collateral. Yeah. Right. So let's say in two days from now, um, Gary Gensler just like spontaneously combusts and like Ethereum is like, you know, you can trade it for oil directly. And so like tomorrow it's worth 4,000. And so risk, the options protocol needs to basically come up with 2,000 or $1,900, right? In order to pay out that. And so how, how does that work given that the option seller only put like 20 or $30 in as collateral? I mean, the easy way is a liquidation mechanism, right? You get liquidated and uh, basically someone else is going to take up your position right so it's gonna take over position um are you guys still there okay yeah cool. yeah, yeah. So basically you can take over your position so you get liquidated i take over your position so now i'm the seller it's not you anymore and they put the collateral required that time right so if the price moved because volatility increase or whatever it just required to be more collateral so basically you get liquidated i take over your position i buy your collateral for a cheaper price and i add more collateral into the system so that's the easy way that you can do it the problem with that is like how 
do you decide which collateral is acquired at the first place? That's the hardest thing because the thing is, as I was saying before, like you, you can do one way fully collateralized. So you can post one ETH as collateral. So if the price of ETH is moving, collateral will always be enough. But that's absolutely inefficient for you. So you're like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to post one ETH collateral for $10. The other way is you try to make an estimation. So basically you say, let's look at all the params like expiry, strike price, what is the spot price right now? You just make like a lot of computational. You come out with a number that is absolutely conservative. So let's say we do like $500, whatever. It's absolutely conservative. It's enough. But still, it's not ideal because there is a lot of space that you can get more efficient with that. And so and the best way would be you have a price of, uh, basically, you have an oracle or, you know, you know what is actually the price of their option. And you can, based on the price of their option right now, decide, the liquid, you know, the, basically the, the collateral for that. That would be the best way. But because right now there is actually, I mean, we build in all those options protocol and options marketing DeFi, but as you get said at the beginning, we're talking about small volumes and so on. So it's still hard to get what is the price of that. So we are working, I think that's the direction. Plus, there is the margining that you guys mentioned before, and Sam made a very good point about margining. The problem with DeFi about margining, we're building one, and the main issue is you can do it. It's just like, imagine doing a huge loop to look at all your position, see what like, all your position are, and you have to do that on chain with the computational power that's absolutely limited. So that's probably one of the main issues with margining as well. It's like the computational power of the chain it's not made for margining. Margining per se, it's easy. You just check all your position and then based on that, you can do it. But doing that on chain is actually making quite hard. So that's definitely one of the biggest issues when it comes to capital efficiency. That's the big challenge when it comes to DeFi options, at least in my view. Okay, so since we, since you've kind of got onto the point of margining, right? I think uh, margining is always really interesting, especially in DeFi because I, I, I kind of I kind of have the view that most retail doesn't like margining. Most retail is, uh, actually prefers isolated. They like to see one liquidation for each position. They don't like this like, oh, I have like three different positions open. My health ratio is this. I don't really know what my liquidation is. And I was, and I was actually talking to the Vertex guys about perps on this, right? And, and they, they have a margining platform. Very good margining, but um, yeah. You know, every single day, everyone's like, okay, but what's my liquidation price? Okay, but what's my liquidation price? And they're just like, okay, well, you know, it doesn't really work like that, you know? So what do, what do, you, what do, you, what do you think about, like, the different... But, uh, but when, when I, like, the reason I bring that up is, like, I don't think there's a problem with, like, building retail uh, options products. Like, mm -hmm. most of these questions about margining and everything else is about maximizing the capital efficiency of liquidity providers yeah. so that they can, so that they don't have to overinvest into whatever they're providing, right? So when, if you're a liquidity provider, you can maximize whatever sort of assets that you have inside of the protocol. And so that you don't have to keep on like layering in more and more. And that some like the ability to use cross margin, uh, like just allows you to be more efficient with your pricing. Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, you know, one way of doing that is is also through app chains, right? Like we had uh, Nick come on and talk about it. Mm -hmm. You could have all all this uh, computation happen on this third chain. I think this was another thing that Nick was kind of th doing, where you can have all the computation on a on a single chain, and then just roll up the the state of the chain into Arbitrum, and then roll up all of that uh, into uh, Layer, you know, the Ethereum, 
So what, what do you have any, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I can go with, um, you guys made a very good point. And the thing when it comes to options, it's always about like, who's the target of options, right? Because as you guys said, it makes completely different product and approach when you target institutionals or, you know, market makers, like more advanced traders versus retail. And in my view, retail users, when it comes to DeFi specifically, um, they, I agree with Wen Moon, they don't care much about a lot of stuff. What they care though is like try to use them because they still don't understand them most of the time, right? It's there is it's the learning curve of understanding option is pretty high. When you target more institutionals, um, again, like the margining is definitely something that they care. Um, margining again, like the way we're trying to approach that is like you either do it off-chain or you like you know, create some server, like some protocols doing that way. That's probably the easy way. Or you can either try to do it like on chain, but you, it is a trade off. At some point, you have to decide that you know there, there is something that you're gonna left over. Um, but one point to me that is always very interesting when it comes to options market specifically is when you when it comes to crypto, if you see something like Deribit, like half of the volumes in Deribit are made by a single platform that is an LFQ platform for institutional that is Paradigm.co. So options right now are extremely Retail, oh, sorry, are extremely, you know, let's can, let me ask you a different question then. So, when we look at DeFi specifically, what type of option products are most popular? Like, what are people actually buying? I mean, as of today, uh, the only ones that actually took over they were the vault products, like uh, Ribbon style, where you basically do cover a call. Mm. So, the user deposit, the vault is doing everything else. At the end of the game, if you see the stats, like some of like losing money some are making money at the end of the game it's there is no hedging there is you know it's a pretty simple strategy but the user is absolutely passive there is no active retail users on there um and yeah because if you look at i mean if you look at like traditional finance covered call strategies they don't really do that well like yeah. versus if you're buying like a spy if you're buying like a spy covered call strategy it it's not going to do as well as just buying spy and holding for the long term um I mean, the main yeah. options and the Tempest is actually a very good, you know, options trader, not just in crypto. It's also a lot about edging, right? Most of those products that don't edge and doing options without edging is actually like pretty uh, crazy. Um, I let Tempest go because it's the guy probably with the highest experience also in traditional finance options product. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I've been uh, I've been trading options for the last eight years at uh, some major banks and uh, hedge funds, um, and I've been running some systematic strategies, uh, some market making, and also some prop uh, strategies. So on the on the um, on the systematic side, I feel like uh, covered calls or um, or just selling puts uh, are popular strategies, mm -hmm. and uh, like in. Of course, it very much depends on uh, on market scenarios, but uh, in some cases, when the uh, strikes are well calibrated and uh, um, and the strategies are properly backtested, they can actually uh, provide some interesting sharp ratios. You you don't really get to the uh, two or three sharp ratios, so extremely high returns uh, with low risk, uh, but you you can get consistently over one, and that's. 
sometimes better than the S&P, some other times uh, it could be a little bit worse. The, the problem with these strategies is that they have fat tails. So when there are large market moves, they underperform a lot. Mm -hmm. So you can get actually liquidated if you run systematic short selling strategies, um, especially if you sell puts. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, there are, there are some different ways to mitigate this. You can sell put spreads, for example. This was a strategy that we were running a few years back. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, uh, the, I would say the risk return is, uh, is there. Sometimes the, uh, I mean, I would say selling volatility in general uh, has positive edge because you're selling an implied volatility that is most of the times higher than what's going to be the realized volatility. So there is a premium that people are willing to pay to buy this convexity, to be able to uh, have a portfolio that outperforms on the way up and outperforms also on the way down. So it makes sense that these people are buying this convexity, they're buying these options, and they're paying a premium for this. Um, so by selling systematically these, you can monetize, monetize this premium. Uh, and get this little bit of edge, but you need to be very careful. It's uh, it's a very risky strategy. I, but I also think there's, you know, we've we've just been talking about selling options uh, against your collateral, right? But I, I think there is something to be said about about having um, long convexity as well too. About essentially like buying straddles um, or using some sort of s systemic like straddle options as well too, which I haven't seen yet. Um, it's a little bit more difficult to manage. Um, because you, you're essentially like the opposite of a short strangle strategy. Um, so. Yeah, on, on this, actually, the, the very first product that we will launch at Smiley Finance is, uh, is actually very similar to being long a straddle. Mm. We call it impermanent gain. So you are basically buying the impermanent loss from liquidity providers. And our approach to options is actually really different to all the other protocols out there doing options because uh, we don't even have option sellers at Smile. We just have option buyers. And our point here is that you don't need someone to sell you the options if the option sellers are already there in DeFi. And if you think about it, everybody providing liquidity on Uniswap is already an option seller. Um, so, and this is something that most liquidity providers don't know, but a liquidity provider has this, I mean, everybody knows that there is impermanent loss. Uh, so when the market moves, when the one token moves versus the other, you are always going to un underperform an equal weight portfolio. This is what everybody knows. But what few people know is that this is basically selling options. It's yeah. selling calls and puts with different strikes. Um, and so if you have liquidity providers already and they are having impermanent loss, you do not need option sellers. You already have those. So you can enable people to buy these options from these liquidity providers. So this is what Smiley does. It connects people providing liquidity um, and Smiley gives them exactly the same payoff as they would have on Uniswap. Um, so they get, they get the same impermanent loss, but their, their liquidity is not used to enable a spot market, so to allow people to trade one token for another, uh, we use it to sell volatility, to sell options. And the first option that we introduce is impermanent gain. So it's this straddle-like um, option where you can buy it and at the end of the 
period, so at the expiry of the derivative, you are going to get paid exactly the impermanent loss that liquidity providers took over the same period. Yeah, but this sort of strategy requires the LPs of whomever whomever's taking this Uniswap LP style position to essentially forego the ability to rebalance their their uh, position over the time. You're essentially forcing them into like a European style option where they can only exercise at the end and they they have no ability to like close that position uh, during the uh, during the period, right? And so there's trade-offs there. So there, that is correct. And uh, it's, uh, it's a really important point because um, if you want someone to buy an option, then you need to have enough liquidity locked until the expiry of that option. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. If people withdraw their liquidity before the option expires, how can I guarantee, how can the protocol guarantee that there is going to be enough money to pay the guy who bought the option when the option expires, right? So, uh, I mean, it's a great point, yes. So what Smiley does is to lock liquidity on different um, expiries. And basically, for each expiry, uh, the protocol sells the options um, to cover basically all the liquidity there. Yeah, uh, We cannot sell more options than the liquidity available on that specific expiry. So I guess two questions here. Uh, the first question is, is how do you effectively price the ranges of, or is it anybody can provide any sort of range or is it locked in by the protocol? I'm just wondering how you determine your, your range setting here. Yeah, so uh, initially we were full range. So we are already live on testnet and we are full range at the moment in testnet. But uh, today we uh, announced uh, concentrated liquidity on Smiley. So we are doing kind of the same jump that Uniswap did from UniV2 to UniV3. Um, and so we will allow to provide concentrated liquidity on Smiley. But it's not going to be fully customized liquidity. So at this stage, uh, liquidity providers will not be able to choose exactly which range they want pr to provide liquidity in. What, uh, what we're going to have is a fixed range that gets moved every week. Let's say it's a weekly expiry uh, hold. So every week, the range is going to be moved in a way that the uh, current price is always at the middle of the range. And the range is large enough to uh, make it really, really unlikely that the price is going to move outside of that range for that particular week. So what we're doing is using two or three standard deviations uh, from that particular initial price to make sure that like 99 or 99.5% of the times the, uh, the price is going to be in range for the whole period. And the liquidity provider gets compensated for uh, all the option premium, basically. So people buying options, they are basically paying the APY for the liquidity provider. And the cool thing about this is that the APY um, is not something variable that changes every day, like on Uniswap, where like on some days you have 30% APY and then the next day it drops to 3% because you never know in advance how much people are going to trade. Um, on Smiley, the APY is fixed for that period because it just depends on implied volatility uh, for, for that particular period. And how do you how do you guys determine the implied volatility? Yeah, so that's another really uh, really important point 
because pricing, as we already said before, is one of the biggest issues in building DeFi options. And different protocols have different uh, ways to, to tackle this problem. Um, so what we do for the um, for Bitcoin and Ethereum, where there are already liquid markets on Deribit, uh, we use the Deribit pricing and we match Deribit as expiries. Um, and uh, for all the other tokens, because we don't want to list just uh, Bitcoin and ETH, but we want to um, to list potentially any token. Uh, the, the only constraint here is that we need to have a sufficiently large liquidity pool uh, for that token. So we need to have a spot market uh, to, to create a pool on Smiley. Um, but for all the other tokens, um, what we do is we, um, we start from some initial prices uh, based on the realized volatility. And then uh, what we do is we check the utilization rate of the protocol. So if everyone wants to buy options at that price, at the next expiries, we're going to have a slightly higher price. Um, and if the utilization rate is low, uh, basically, we're going to have a lower price. So we are um, we, we built basically this bonding curve um, that mm, maps the utilization rate of the protocol to the implied volatility. So we make sure that when no one wants to buy, it means volatility is too high. So the bonding cur curve slightly uh, drops volatility over time. Um, and then basically we reach an equilibrium. And then at the next, next expiry, we can use all the data from the previous expiry, expiry to reprice the options. So this is basically how it works. Um, of course, it's not ideal for Bitcoin and Ethereum to have Deribit as an oracle, but we have to recognize here that they are 97% of the option market in crypto right now. So the most efficient and most accurate pricing at the moment is Deribit. So we all want to mo move towards uh, like an oracle free uh, where everything is decentralized. Uh, and we only need to check stuff on chain to price these options. But in reality, to start in this very present, present moment of DeFi, uh, we need to have some external data in order to provide reliable pricing. So I am not like an options trader and I never want to be one, but like I'm very interested in a um, mature option ecosystem because like I want to use options for hedging and specifically I want to like be able to hedge out like longer than like a week or like I don't I mean the the thrust of what I'm trying to say is like we don't have long dated options yet and so um either of you guys can you reflect on like why you don't think why you think it doesn't exist yet and then what do you think it's going to take in order to get there I mean our main idea risk was actually to create a longer dated option because it's actually even easier to edge. Um, so it's um, actually it's better from liquidity provider standpoint. Um, so like we risk actually we on, on the main launch, we're going to have options like up to like three, five months, something like that. So it's long enough, let's say, for crypto, not for traditional finance. Um, the main reason I think we are like a very short-term market, it's probably related to what we're seeing before. Like on DeFi, most of the options trading volumes back then was um, those like cover call strategy and they were doing like weekly stuff because you wanted your, you know, LPs or like depositors to actually be able to get out every week. So you basically keep doing like all this rolling system every week. 
Um, and then it was easier because otherwise you have idle liquidity that you don't know what to do with them and stuff like that. So I think it was just like an easier way. On the other side, it's also because most of the DeFi users probably been more on the degen side. You just want to make a very short term bet as you do like with a pair most of the time. Like perpetual takeoff, in my view, because they're very easy to use and very short term. Because if you hold the pair for like a year, you're going to lose so much money on borrowing rate or funding rate. That doesn't make sense. So I guess like options short term was mostly to make just a bet in, you know, in the very short term. But again, like we are taking an approach to also offer longer dated option because edging is actually one of the biggest case when it comes to options. We're targeting other protocols. We're talking to a lot of them in order to actually use options to edge. So our final users is not just going to be retail, but also other protocols building strategies. So yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we definitely need uh, a market there, but it all comes to the main point to me. It's like options, it's very early in DeFi for many yeah. different reasons. That's the main point. So we will go there. Better capital efficiency, longer dated option, or even on the capital efficiency, when you have longer dated option, you need collateral locked for a very long time. And if this collateral is high, it's not good, right? So the more you go with capital efficiency, better capital efficiency will enable like longer dated option as well to be more efficient with more you know, liquidity on it. Yeah, look at what they were talking about. Essentially, they're saying like, you take your Uniswap V3 position within a certain range, you put in their their protocol and lock it up for a week. And then that's that mimics the option movement. Um, so in order to have like a longer dated option, like a year or something like that, you'd have to take somebody's, somebody would have to be willing to give up their liquidity position for a year and, and not be able to rebalance during that time period, which I don't think a lot of people want to do. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, uh, uh, yeah. That, that's exactly the reason why we are uh, at Smiley starting with uh, short dated options. Um, I mean, we recognize that not too many people want to lock their liquidity for uh, one year or more. Um, and also, to be honest, looking at TradFi trends, um, everybody is trading short-dated options. So actually, 80% of the trading volumes, I believe right now, are in options expiring in a week or less. So uh, so it looks like all these Robinhood traders, uh, but not just them, uh, are loving these short-dated options more and more. So yeah. if you look at this percentage, it's constantly increasing. Um, and so that's the part of the market where we want to focus at start. But then, of course, we like in the longer term, we definitely need more longer dated options because they have the great property that they give an APY that is fixed over a very long period of time to the liquidity provider. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds bad to lock your liquidity for one year, but if you know you're going to get pretty big APY for one year, then might not be so bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the reason that the like the weeklies or like the zero day options are so popular is that it's really the only way that you can get like more than 20 X leverage. <laughs> like, you know, the, the, the government works really hard to cap you at 20 X with futures. Uh, but with options, especially short dated ones, you can go a lot higher than that. You can get insane amounts of leverage on these short dated options, especially buying calls, right? It's buying like like out of the money, zero day calls that cost nothing and might be worth hundreds of dollars by the end of the day, depending on how the market moves. Uh, and that's what people want to trade because it's a, it's a fast way to make money. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm looking right now a one day option, 2000 X pre on Ethereum and you know, price right now is like 1000 
938 and it costs like three dollars oh yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah it's like yeah i mean it's it's off then a day now it's not even a day option because i think it's expiring like in 14 15 hours but still it's like three it's better than a lottery ticket at this point yeah so do you think okay so coming back to the discussion we were having about like retail versus professional um like most of the uh, since most of the products are being built for kind of retail traders at the moment, um, do you think in the future that we're ever going to get to the point where like professional market makers will be um, like deploying strategies on chain, right? So like when you talk about all like the higher level gamma or sorry, high level uh, Greeks uh, and, you know, building these large portfolios, is that something that's in the future? I would say not in the short term, but in the long term, yes. Um, right now, the, again, the main issue for them is all capital efficiency, and it's a big one. Plus, obviously, all the issues with you know um, regulation and this, if, yeah. if we're talking like about not crypto native, I'm talking about you know like re, like uh, proper institutional ones. Uh, obviously, like regulation is a big one, but on regulation side, I think we'll we'll go there at some point. Um, but when it comes to option, obviously, like capital efficiency is, is probably one of the big one. But I think we're going there. We start to see some more, you know, like niche edge fund starting to do strategies and uh, looking into DeFi. Obviously, liquidity is not enough right now, but they're looking into it because there are advantages of using DeFi. Um, I, I was talking with, with one a few, few weeks ago, actually, and... Uh, Actually, they, for example, don't trust a lot that uh, bit right now, even though it's like pretty solid because they have, you know, Panama license. And after everything that happened to something like FTX, um, they still don't trust it 100%, right? Mm -hmm. But on a DeFi, yeah, you have a lot of issues when it comes to obviously security. But at least like in something like risk, you can see how capitalized is the entire protocol. You can see how much collateral is locked in for every single series and stuff like that, right? So mm -hmm. there are some advantages in terms of transparency and they're looking into it. And the other thing, it's absolutely inefficient market right now. And there are a lot of opportunities in terms of, you know, arbitrage. Obviously, they're not huge enough, like not big enough for an institution right now, but they're pretty juicy one. So they're definitely looking into it. Um, I don't think in the short term we're going to see a lot of them entering into the market, but I see potential in the long term, especially, obviously, we'll see where regulation is going because that's going to be a challenge one. Yeah, okay. So um, unless anyone, I, I, I mean, Smiley uh, already had a chance to kind of uh, talk, you know, about what they are doing, but uh, Dan, did you did you have a chance to maybe talk uh, about like what what risk is doing uh, and i like different other options protocols and specifically i think uh i would love to hear more about obviously dhv right that's the that's yeah. the thing in my opinion yeah i gave a very big overview at the beginning just talking about what are the actors in terms of you know passive liquidity on one side providing liquidity into the dhv usdc and then on the other side the traders but when it comes to the big difference from other protocols i think like when Moon figured it out pretty quickly during the trading comp, and uh, you, you were second in, at the end of the game, right? When Moon on the yeah, trading yeah, yeah. <laughs> <He> figured <laughs> out the difference pretty fast. So the main difference is obviously on how we price this option, like the pricing mechanism. So 
Option pricing, it's very interesting because you can use, you know, you, you have a lot of variables that are known. So for example, XPRI and so on, but then you have one variable that is the implied volatility, right? That, that's an estimation of volatility. The way we price optional rates, we use a volatility skew, we get an oracle from that a bit, but we, on top of that, we also have other uh, function. And the main one is the slippage one. So the slippage one, the way it works is actually fairly simple to explain, not, fairly, not, not so simple to make it, but very simple to explain. Actually, what he's saying is, let's say that everyone is buying calls, just to give an example. So everyone is long. The DHV at that point is absolutely exposed because it's very short towards one single option, right? So what it's doing is actually increasing the price of the option because at some point, the price will be basically giving an arbitrage opportunity to people like Wen Moon to get the arbitrage out there. So, you know, you can basically do the arbitrage how you want. You can use other platform, whatever. And basically that's gonna bring the price down again, but even more important, it's gonna reduce the exposure of the pool. So at the end, the turnover, let, let's call it this way, like you know, the inventory of the pool is actually going close to zero. But at the end of the game, the liquidity providers made money out of it because what the DHV is working is actually a market-making model, right? So it makes money out of a spread. So it price the option from a bid and the ask. And, you know, the, the way it's making money is actually taking the spread, multiplying by volumes. So as long as the volumes are going high and, you know, the spread is, is, is robust and solid enough, um, the liquidity providers are making money. But the main issue for liquidity providers, so the main risk is actually being exposed to a lot of instruments, having like, you know, a huge inventory, for example, being short on a single instrument. So this, this pricing is actually going up on that way. And it basically creates a system where if there are users that they want to go long for any reasons, then there are sophisticated users that try to uh, rebalance this pricing. It actually makes, you know, uh, profitable for liquidity providers and they actually make the, you know, it's, it's healthy for the system. So that's one of the main big difference on, you know, compared to other protocols, it's actually how we price those options. We also have other uh, mechanism into the pricing. We know I can go through all of them, but just to give you an idea, the way it's different is actually this pricing mechanism, collateralization, we have our own system there. It's pretty competitive for DeFi. It's still not as competitive to use something like that a bit, as I mentioned before, but we're working to make it better. And um, the other way is also, again, basically giving access to also passive users. I already mentioned that, but I believe it's actually very important because if you are a passive user with something like risk, you can still provide liquidity and participate in the options market without actually need to understand or you know need to trade those options. And that to me for something like DeFi, where we live in a very small liquidity and you know liquidity constrained environment, I believe is absolutely important. Um, but yeah, those are like the main advantage. I don't know when Moon, if you find something something else when you were trading on trading comp, but okay. So I uh, so let me so what you said. Let me try and uh, bring it down TLDR it for like the audience, right? I think the really cool thing, obviously, is is that you guys uh, as the DHV or like anybody providing liquidity for the options on the platform. Uh, the whole the whole aim of the game is if you can manage to any single option, if you can manage to sell it and buy it, then you're flat, right? You have no exposure. It's like you did nothing, but you get to collect the premium it, or, or in this case, sorry, you get to collect the spread, right? Between the bid and the ask. So if you, if you sold it for $100, but bought it back for 99, you collect that $1, you did nothing for it. Well done, right? That's 
that's all we were trying to do. Uh, and that's like literally no risk for you. And so, you know, you guys have this uh, interesting way to make sure that, you know, your exposure is as low as possible. And for, for me, the really interesting thing, obviously, is that uh, generally I am somebody that doesn't like to take too much risk, right? So um, if I'm looking at the DHV, I would rather, I would rather, and, and the reason I do like it, obviously, is because it does do this aggressive sort of strategy to make sure that it does not have too much exposure, right? And I don't want, I don't want to be ending up uh, like, you know, the covered call strategies, the lazy covered call strategies, let's say, like the ribbon vault or something. The problem with that is always, I, I sell covered calls myself. I sell, uh, I, 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 you know, sell puts myself as well, uh, even naked, but, you know, I'm doing it by knowing which strike I'm picking, knowing what I'm, I'm thinking at the time. I know I, I have like a full thesis. I'm not just like, okay, blindly 10% above current price. Let me sell this covered call. So, you know, this DHV kind of, it reduces your risk while like you collect all this premium. And, but the other thing I, I, I think I'm trying to like nudge you to talk about a little bit is how, even if you guys do have exposure in the DHV, um, you have n other novel ways to get rid of that exposure, not just like, you know, here we are, we're a market and we pray that participants do what we want it to do. You guys actively uh, go and search and make sure that you guys are flat. You guys make sure that you, and, and, and you know, through, through different perps. So maybe you want to discuss that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's one other thing. So the first thing is basically, as I said, like we try to trade more options from the DHV and reduce our inventory. Like that's the first thing. The other thing is what happens if actually those traders are not coming and or, you know, the arbitrage is not big enough or whatever reason. Um, basically what the DHV is doing, it is aware of its own delta. And so delta is, um, you know, for, for the general audience, that is a measure of risk, if you can call it that way. It's basically like the sensitivity of the price of the option when the underline is changing. So to keep it simple, delta zero means that you're basically not exposed to market movements. Delta one, it means that if Ethereum price is going up by one, the options price is going up by one, pretty much. Uh, delta minus one is the opposite, right? So price going up by one, the options price is going minus one. So... What we're trying to do, we try to target delta close to zero. And one way that the DHV is doing, if, if it's delta is moving away from zero because you know there is a market movement or whatever, um, it can use other instruments. So for example, we have integration right now with GMX, uh, Rage Trade, Uniswap, and it can basically buy or sell, for example, the spot or it can potentially um, buy or sell, for example, the, the pair price, uh, like on GMX. In this way, it can compensate the option exposure using other instrument, and it's basically edging the position for liquidity providers. So that's a huge difference between other protocols out there. Like, for example, you know, we mentioned the simple cover call. There is no edging at all. So when you basically sell a cover call, you are pretty much like 0.9 something because you have one delta from being long eat, and then you have like basically the short um, that you the call that you're selling that is like zero one whatever. So it's basically like zero point nine something like that. If the price is moving at some point, you can be delta one. So you're absolutely affected to the market going up, and there is no edging there. But what the DHV is doing is basically saying, okay, now we want to rebalance our delta, put it back to zero, and so it can, for example, short 
it in that case in order to bring it back to zero and reduce that exposure. Obviously, edging has a cost. And that's another big challenge when, you know, Sam, when you ask me about institutional, right? Um, edging has a cost. And right now, the cost of edging in DeFi is way higher than edging everywhere, like in traditional finance, for example. And so, but even in the case, like the price is higher now of edging, but it's getting better and better every, you know, every single week because of liquidity, because of protocols being more efficient and everything. And so the more, you know, if we can reduce the cost of edging, that will be that the returns for liquidity providers would be higher in a system where the actual risk is actually reduced because they're still, you know, an environment where they're trying to be market neutral in that sense. So yeah, we have this mechanism. We also integration with other protocol in order to edge this position if the option itself, option pricing mechanism is not working in a sense that there is no traders actually trading and reducing that exposure. Yeah, I mean, again, for me, I, as someone who's not interested, it's not an institution and is not interested in trading, like for me, like the biggest question around options is like, okay, next time we get a industry shattering lawsuit coming down and I want to make like a directional bet about what this is going to mean in the future, like I just need a, the ability to express that out into the future and not like just 15 hours from now, you know, like might as well just buy that or sell the ETH, right? And so, um, again, I think if you're not interested in the DGEN games or, or like being a market maker and doing this stuff professionally, like we very much are just in a too, we're too early, right? It's too soon. And, um, I mean, I'm like incredibly thrilled to be sitting here on this call and here to the risk is like planning on issuing, like launching with like four to five month, like duration, like that's actually useful. Um, and so I think, uh, with everything in this industry, like, yes, we can talk about your specifics and the tools you need to build and like how slippage affects and like blah, 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 blah. But like, really what it is, is like these tools don't, are not usable, you know? And if that's like, because the UX is terrible or the economics like uh, change the equation so that it doesn't make sense or like whatever, um, just we're too early. And so like, it's amazing to have you two both here to talk about where we are and where we're going. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think like a big thing to remember is like you have to take everything a grain of salt because like there really just isn't a like a crypto options market. Like Deribit doesn't count, I'm sorry. Like it, it's there and it's fine, but like one shady institution that has no transparency is not a market. That is like, that, that's a place. <laughs> I definitely have to agree. <laughs> yeah. Everything yeah. you just said. For sure. We are early. We are early. And that's a good place to wrap up on. I want to thank uh, Dan and Tempesta for coming on. Italian Mafia. Thanks, guys. Uh, fun one. Yes. No, again, thank you. I think there's a lot, I, especially with the options expert of DeFi, when, the option anime expert of DeFi, when Moon, um, like we're all realizing that there's so much more to learn. And um, especially as the industry continues to mature. So I hope. You guys continue to stay involved with our organization and like, uh, you know, choose to use us to launch any news or products, but just stick around and help us like understand like what is happening in options world. For sure. We'll be around. Not that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you guys a lot. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Nice wrap. <laughs>